Hello, everyone. This is Eric Pennington, and welcome to the Spirit of EQ podcast. We're glad that you've tuned in. A few things we wanted to tell you at the beginning of the show, and that's this podcast was created to be a tool to help you, primarily to discover and grow your EQ. Science and our own lived experiences confirm that the better we are at managing our emotions, the better we're going to be at making decisions, which leads to a better life. And that's something we all want. We're glad that you've taken out the time today to listen and hope that something that you hear will lead to a breakthrough. Hey, one last thing. We'd really appreciate a review on whichever platform you use to listen. And if you want to, leave some comments about what you heard today, as well as follow and subscribe. That way you won't miss a single episode as we continue this journey. And with that, the show begins. Hello, everyone. This is Eric Pennington, and welcome to the Spirit of EQ podcast. With me, as always, is Jeff East of the Spirit of EQ. Hi, Jeff. How are you? Hey, Eric, and everyone listening. So today we have a very special episode and a very special guest. Joining us for today's show is Jess Laughlin with Exo Laughlin. Audience, you need to know, sometimes I do a lot of prep and making sure that I get pronunciation of names and all that other good stuff. So as just as you're looking me at the studio, you're going, how did I do? Did I get it right? <laughs> <laughs> you did with my name, but company would be Exo Laughlin Co. Thank you. <laughs> you know, it's the imperfection that keeps me humble. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't you say, Jeff? <laughs> Thankfully. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, wait a minute. Okay. All right. I wasn't expecting that one, but that was a good one, Jeff. You slipped that in really well. <laughs> it was really good. Um, so I've known Jess for probably, what, three, two-ish, three-ish years or so? Jess, am I close? Mm, let's say two. Two. Yeah. And one of the things as we connected back then is that I kind of knew, and I'm going to embarrass Jess here, is that I kind of knew this is someone who's a bright light. She's, she's not the ordinary. She's kind of the extraordinary. Though I think sometimes when I asked her the first time to be on the podcast, she looked at me as if... <laughs> What? <laughs> you want me to come on your podcast? And I really meant it, but um, I'm so glad that you're here. I know it's been, a, it's been a little while, but as the events of life, the twists and turns, it seemed like, wow, you know, kind of the universe is opening up and this is a great time because your story is one that I think could really, really benefit our audience. And I want to start in talking about all the rapid change that everyone has been experiencing, right? Yeah. Um, specifically within this, quote, pandemic era. Um, so, Justin, I want to give you an opportunity also if you want to tell, and, and everyone in the show notes will have Jess's bio, but if you want to talk about a little bit about your background and then maybe talk about, so what have been some of the things you've done to navigate all of this rapid change? Absolutely. Um, I would say I'm right in the middle of my crazy life journey right now. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I could truly describe fully who I am or what I'm doing, which is probably why I have not written my bio yet for you. Um, so <laughs> That's very good. This chat might help you, me. You get a pass. <laughs> um, yeah, I uh, 
So I'd say just in the past six months of how this has all really exploded had a lot to do with mental health, diagnosis of depression, um, really taking my mental health seriously and realigning what is important Mm -hmm. um, to me and my soul and my heart so that I can be my best self for everyone else that I'm touching in the process. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when you say that, um, it it really – We've been talking a lot about, you know, how it seems like our society has got, it's like this triangle. And I think I might have told you about it mm-hmm. where we're so, we're very heavily weighted on the intellectual and the, the cognitive, you know, what do I achieve? What's my title? How much did I make? And all that. And then we leave these other two points, the spiritual and emotional. They're like in a box in your basement somewhere under a shelf, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm so happy when you said who you are yes, and you know because i know for me i don't think i started to really pay attention to who i really was and am Mm -hmm. five ten years ago yeah i mean i have went a long time with going being who i'm supposed to be correct which is what everyone does all the time um i think too and i think i've mentioned to you in past conversations when we've grabbed coffee uh I I think I've kind of been blessed and cursed with being able to be so open and fluid with understanding who I am and what matters. Um, yeah. And I know we'll get into more of this later, but with losing my dad, it'll be six years ago this Sunday, actually. Mm-hmm. So this is kind of fitting that we're we're talking about all this mental health and, and grief and normalizing it. Yeah. Um, it really changes your world and your perspective. Um. A lot of people would think that's a horrible experience. I don't ever want to go through it, but I've really embraced it. Mm-hmm. And I think I, I see things in a completely different light than most. Um, Was there some um, like event post his death that kind of made you say, you know what, I'm going to embrace this. I'm going to look at it from that perspective or... I don't think necessarily. I think it was just in... Well, I guess I do have a few there. I had an experience. um, My sister and I are a lot of years apart and Mm -hmm. she was only a senior in high school when my dad passed. And we had all been together at her homecoming two weeks before Mm -hmm. his passing. And I saw this interaction with my mom and one of her friends. And you would have thought that this um, this kid from her class was like part of our family, the way he treated my mom. He just loved her to pieces, would give her a huge hug, called her mom. Mm -hmm. And um, two weeks later, the day that we um, laid dad to rest was her senior night. So we walked her across the field. Um, The whole stadium did a moment of silence, which was amazing. Um, And again, it's those moments that you need that you don't realize you need. Yep. Um, Even when it's so raw and real. Yep. And uh, we past that same person that my mom had that amazing interaction with. And you would have thought they would have never met in our lifetime. Um, Because as I'm learning, we all, because we don't normalize grief, we all have our own ways of handling it. And for him, it was too much to know what we were going through and too uncomfortable for him. I'm understanding that now. In that moment, it devastated me. 
Yeah, because it was was it almost a case of like, wait a minute, how can you behave that yes, way? Yes, how dare you? Yeah, this is yeah. the time that we need you the most. Yeah, yeah. So why are you responding in in such a hurtful way? Yeah, yeah. And I'm learning that that's not on them, right? They're still they're learning the process of grief too. That's how, who I used to be before I lost my dad. Oh God, don't get me near someone that wants to talk about their feelings. I I mean, I would avoid it at all costs, whereas now I'm like, tell me all your problems. Like, let's learn and and grow together. So so do you think um, you, know, you talk about normalizing things? And I when you said don't talk to me about your feelings and, and Jeff <laughs> can I mean, our show, our work. I mean, we are exploring that sphere. Uh, do you think we've normalized like. I don't want to talk about my, I don't want to talk about what I'm feeling. Uh, no, nothing's normalized. Yet. <laughs> uh, no, people hate talking about their feelings. They, no one wants to feel vulnerable. Well, that's what I mean. I mean, is it kind of that thing where we go, it's acceptable to do what you just described here, where oh, it's kind yes. of like, uh, no, I don't, I don't need to, because I, I guess where I'm going with this and, and it's interesting because we were having a, this conversation with a group yesterday, um, the uh, the idea around um, how was it put um, encouraging mm-hmm. people right mm-hmm. and this this particular speaker was kind of talking about you know well we've got to be our biggest cheerleader for our spouses and on and it was like really really upbeat and upbeat and I'm sitting there going you know I know some people in my life who are really good at encouragement but if you expect them to get up and go rah 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 it's not happening. No. And I thought, and I did speak up and I said, I think we also have to give room for other personalities that want to encourage, but their way of doing it is not necessarily our way. Yes. And, and, I, and I get it just like, right, it, it's a fine line. Mm-hmm. I mean, there may be a time where I need to speak up, even though my personality would say I'd rather withdraw, mm-hmm. right? But- I, I do believe that this, how we've put, I don't know how I describe it. It's like this world machine that has sucked people in mm-hmm. to believing that emotions are this, oh, you don't need those. You don't need those. Yeah. Or there's a time and a place. Oh. To show them and experience them. A controlled time and yes, place. Yes. Which is so unfair because specific to grief you don't know when it's going to hit you or what's going to trigger you yeah so why the hell are we telling ourselves in those moments okay we'll hold it in until you get home because no one's going to understand yeah whereas powerful you may be around people that don't understand but to get it out in that moment and and live it and experience it is a hell of a lot more healthy than Holding it in because isn't you may that be, the irony? Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, one of those big, big ironies. Uh, and f- for our audience' sake, right? I mean, I know just um, th- there's we we do sometimes have to be strategic in where we go with certain things. Don't get me wrong. Yes. I, I mean, there's certain people that I'm. I know I can't. I can't. They just can't handle maybe mm-hmm. what. And I, somebody would say the intensity of what I believe in certain areas. There's mm-hmm. certain audiences in my life where I go, no, because that's all that's going to do is disturb them at a level that they're just not ready to handle it. So I, I get it that there there is a quasi time and place, but mm-hmm. 
I think <clears throat> we've, we forgot that maybe in showing our vulnerability that we have the potential of inspiring people that it's okay. Because we yeah. talked before we went on that my hope for our show today is that someone somewhere, some people are going to go, I'm not alone. Mm-hmm. I, I, I had the same thing. Yeah. And, and it's, always, it's always made me wonder, how did we get to this place where we've, we're in, what, 350 million people in the United States? And it's so easy to think, I'm the only one dealing with this. So, Jess, um, what else have you found <laughs> that has been really consequential, really impactful for you in this two-year or so window of rapid change? Um, I think just now, yeah. Um, starting to understand that grief is not just associated with death. Mm. Um, and I don't know how at thirty-eight I've never thought of it outside of that. Right. Um, but I also think it's because again, it is not normalized enough to the point that we can see it in in all of its ways and colors and beings right mm-hmm. like yeah um we're we're all grieving who we used to be pre-pandemic whether we realize it or not yeah. so much has changed yeah um and and we we feel lost and we want to find that person again and we're not going to and i think it's it's realizing that and understanding that it's okay to not be who you were before, but also it's important to not lose yourself as you're moving forward. Mm-hmm. Um, Is that kind of the idea of, of the versions of ourselves? And what I mean by that is that there was a version of Eric when I was in corporate America. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was there. I mean, I, I, I take full ownership for anything and everything I did. But if you said, okay, go be that person again, I can't because that Eric is, is, is dead. He's yeah. not, he doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. Um, which, again, I'll go, and Jeff's probably going to say, we're going to stop talking about this triangle of yours. But I, <laughs> I still keep coming back to that ignoring of the spiritual. Mm-hmm. And and just as you and I have had conversations, I'm not talking spiritual as in religion, which I believe is one of the problems with, it gets in the way of the spiritual. Meaning, who am I? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Really, who am I? And and that piece. Um, so that's that's a very powerful perspective to have that grieving is not just associated with the passing of a loved one. No, it can it can be something in this world happening now mm-hmm. um, on so many different levels um, or a relationship with someone that is yeah. still here, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's kind of like you exiting that corporate world and, and, and losing that side of you and those people. So one thing that really struck me, and then I want to kick something over to you, Jeff, um, is when you were talking about just the idea of, of kind of the losing of, of who you are mm-hmm. uh, and the longing for that version of yourself pre-pandemic. And, you know, there, there's some, I mean, I know that can be very deep and it's kind of complex in some sense because it's nuanced, right? Mm-hmm. But I do agree that that version is not coming back. Right. Um, and 
the healthy thing for us to do, right, is to is to learn how to not how to figure out, but as much as get the kind of help we need to navigate what the new will be, right? Yeah. So, um, but Jeff, you had you wanted to, you know, the idea of you know people losing themselves. I totally understand that, but I think there's something before that. There's a lot of these people that have have lost the themselves, but they didn't know what themselves were before that happened. Mm-hmm. They they had never really taken the time to examine, and, and that goes back to what Eric was talking about with the the spiritual and the emotional. Um, so I think that is a problem that we have to look at too. Yeah, and I say I'm glad you're bringing this up because I think um, the pandemic sparked that in a lot of people. Right, we all started to question. What is our our purpose? What makes us happy? Mm-hmm. What do we deserve? Um, what has society made us believe uh, is who we're supposed to morph ourselves into being um, to be accepted? So um, I think, I, and I mean, this is hard to say and explain until you know the feeling. And I'm a I'm a very vibe person and energy person so to me I can sense these things very easily but like if it doesn't feel right it's not right so don't go that way and if that is like a big enough thing in life that it's just going to blow up the rest of life don't just push it aside and say well there's no way I could ever do that Mm -hmm. just sit with it again right this is about emotions nobody wants to sit with their emotions but if you know it, it's not truly making you happy or if you've realized you've gone completely off course and, and you're sitting on this island that you hate, it's up to you whether or not you want to stay there for the rest of your life or if you maybe want to think about a few things that might start to shift and alter, you know, that that road, you're, that journey that you're on. Um, and it's really hard to talk out loud about what you truly feel, um, especially because you don't know how people are going to react. But what I'm learning is the more I'm honest, the more I find my people, I find my tribe. And they carry me and guide me and help me on that new journey of maybe changing my entire lifestyle or whatever mm-hmm. it might be. Um, and it's like anything else. When, once you do it a handful of times, it starts to feel a little more comfortable. Or you learn the crowd, like Eric, you talked about. You, you know the people you can you can open up to in those moments. Um so that you're not holding it in and and you're growing from those conversations whether it's one step forward or two step backwards right you 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 have to you have to embrace it and not be fearful of it but honestly if you are feel fearful of it you should be going with it because 9 times out of 10 something bigger is going to come out on the other side i think you said something that i that really struck me and, and it's very important um find your people find your tribe Ooh, yeah. And that, I think, is the hardest step for people is to, to get that. I, I am lucky. I have 
Uh, there's my wife and two other couples. I don't know really what we call it on, on Sunday night. We go through books and stuff. But that's where all six of us are able to do what you're talking about, and that is so amazingly helpful. It is. When you don't have to have a filter and you can just be your truest self. I mean, it. it's like <clears throat> it's an amazing feeling. Um, and the more times you feel that, then the old you of, of hiding or putting on a, a certain face doesn't feel right anymore. It feels icky. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, you can acknowledge that in yourself and you can see that transition happening. The, the only thing I can caution is once you get used to that comfort with that group, <laughs> you got to remember everybody's not that group. Right. I, exactly. <laughs> Or you, you got to be prepared to have an argument. Or you have to be vulnerable enough to live with the idea mm-hmm. that you are not always right. Mm-hmm. Because that's how you grow and change and, and find these people, right? Or you support them if you don't agree in some capacity because that's what they need you for in that moment. Or you say, hey, I don't have this in me, right? Like find that other person you're vibing with and, and see if they, they can hold you and, and carry you because this one I don't feel passionate enough on. Okay. So, so I know I'm not I'm not the right fit for you in this moment. So you're allowing some boundaries in there. Oh yes. As as much as you're freeing yourself and feeling your best, I mean, you have to have your own personal boundaries too. Or you're gonna get lost in, in everyone else's crap. And you're going to lose yourself, and then you're not helping anyone. So, I was wondering, when you encounter those people outside of the group, your tribe, right? Mm-hmm. Those that may be adamantly opposed or may be very threatened by your freedom and your, um, your confidence mm-hmm. in being who you really are. Um. I know I've felt empathy for those folks when I encounter them. Does that sound odd? No. Because, because just to kind of give you both a little bit of uh, more color for that, it's like I'm realizing, not that I'm right and they're wrong, but I'm realizing, wait a minute, this is challenging you because I'm being me. And that probably means you struggle with that. Now, again, it's not judgment. It's not me saying, oh, you're this, you're this, you're this, but it's that feeling in me that just, it comes over me that goes, wow, this is, this is territory that probably makes you uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Do you guys, can you relate to that? Or <laughs> Do you also feel like you want to just shake them <laughs> and be like, like open up, like you know what's interesting? break yeah. through? Like- yeah, you know what, Jess? Um, and I, um, I think, I think Jeff knows this. Matter of fact, yes, I do. Um, yes, he does know this. <laughs> I'm answering for you, so sorry. Um, <laughs> okay, but uh, a little—it'll be three years or so ago. I I got a diagnosis, and it wasn't a good one. Mm-hmm. And it was one of those I use it with friends and family, close ones. That it was. It was the first time in my life where I felt like I heard eternity whisper my name. Mm-hmm. That's my poetic way of saying it. So 
that one, it kind of was that rocket fuel for me to go, you don't have time to be someone other than who you are. Mm-hmm. We deceive ourselves in believing that because we've done something for so many days and so many months and so many years that it's just a rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. You know, it's kind of that idea that, you know, dying is for those who are old. I'm not old yet, so therefore, right. and the reality is that, no, I'm sorry. It, yeah. No, <laughs> no, no, it's not just for old people. Mm-hmm. So sometimes, yes, yes, I do want to shake people and say, do you realize how little time you have to do this thing called your life? Mm-hmm. Then I have to take a step back because, you know, I, I start to go, hold on, Eric. You got the diagnosis. Not everyone that you meet. There are some people who are walking about thinking that they do have time. There's some people who walk about thinking that death is for other people, not for me. Mm-hmm. Well, so I think we, we all do that until. Right. I, have, I get that. But yeah. Jeff, here's, here's where I'm going with this. And Jess, I'm so glad you brought this um, up is because our ability to show compassion to people who may technically may not even know they need it, mm-hmm. I think is profoundly important um, because <laughs> I'll never forget this quote from um, musical reference alert, uh, George Michael. He was uh, in an interview and they were asked, his mom had passed. This was like, I want to say it was maybe it was nine months, six months after she had passed. And they were asking him how he was handling it. And he said one of the frustrations, if I'm memory serving, frustrations with how it seemed like people were just like, well, you know, she's passed now. You got to get back to recording. You got to get back to. And he said it it helped him understand something. Mm -hmm. There are two types of people, those who have lost and those who haven't lost yet. Mm -hmm. It's that kind of dynamic. Do you know what I mean? And grief lasts longer than sympathy. Grief never goes away. And it's a whole lot easier for me to sit here and say, you're going to be fine. It's going to be okay. And again, this is about what I'm feeling as the person across the table. Yeah. Uh, well, I don't want to deal with that heavy shit that you're dealing with. Or I've never had a life experience. So, of course, it's going to be fine. I've seen plenty of other people have, you know, their parents die in their life. They seem fine. But yeah. they're not. They're, you're you're never oh, – okay, you're, you are okay. I shouldn't say you're never okay. But grief never goes away. It just evolves with you, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. whether it's been, I forget how many years, you both said 26 or 11. 11 or my six, you may wake up tomorrow and have it feel like yesterday was when you lost that person. And it's and okay I, to cry. Yes, and it's okay to cry and it's okay to grieve them again and it's okay to question everything and in between. But I, I think until you have that experience in your life, you're not going to understand that. And that's where I have to check myself, like you're saying, and mm-hmm. say, you just don't understand, and that's okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, because um, I'll, I'll go – I think I had this conversation with you, uh, Jess, um, <clears throat> about a um, an interview with uh, Brene Brown and – in so many ways she she talked about the importance a real lift of empathy is when we are willing to listen to someone's story and believe them yes. um and that 
I've mentioned it on previous episodes is just that has stuck with me. I mean, it's, it's almost like this loop in my brain and it helps me remember. Um, and how she mentioned the, the reality that it's the believing part that gets people. It's really hard Yeah, because to believe your story means I might have to accept you have a different view of mm-hmm. how the world works or, your vantage point might look at it differently. Right. And especially if I've come to it as there's one way. Because I think some of what happens is um, we become dualistic, right? We, we kind of go, um, he was wrong or he's right. It's good or it's bad. Yes. And we don't allow nuance in. We don't allow, well, wait a minute. What would be the harm in listening to her story that is totally counter to your life experience? What would be the great, the great sin of doing that? Mm-hmm. The reality is there would be none, except from my unwillingness to go places that maybe I'm not comfortable, mm-hmm. right? But I don't think we can show empathy until we're absolutely willing. And I get it, there are gonna be some people that are just not gonna go there. Right. They're, they're gonna cut it short. They're gonna go, sorry, you're not my person I wanna share it with. But I'm talking about that openness and willingness too. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's, let's talk a little bit, Jess, about the role of mental and brain health on your journey. Yes. Right? <laughs> uh, those that are <clears throat> members of our audience, they know how passionate we are about the importance of it. And it, that's not going to be surprising because of the emotional intelligence connection and its brain stuff. So, mm-hmm. but you want to talk a little bit about that, and then I've got a I've got a question uh, inside of that as well. Yes, um, I again, you don't realize the person you're you're going to become or what you may start advocating for until life slaps you in the face and tells you otherwise. Um, so I, I'm still very new to this mental health journey and depression. Um, it runs in my family. Uh, it's crazy. My mom and sister and I were just sitting together the other day, and m- my sister's just beside herself for for not recognizing it in me sooner. Um, because the the way I would react or hide or cope with it. I was very similar to what my dad was like in his depressed states where you just, you kind of shut down, you're short with people, you just don't have interest in anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and you you kind of, you don't realize it, but you're hiding it because you want to make it look like everything's fine. Um, and I really just have <laughs> concerns for for everyone in this lifetime because I would have never thought that I was a depressed person. When I was diagnosed with it, I laughed at my doctor. Um, I I went into my physical and I just thought, you know what, I'm just going to be really open with her about how I'm feeling, what Mm -hmm. my new habits are, what I don't like about myself, um, because I just, I don't know what's going on here. There's something happening here. Mm -hmm. I really did it just because I wanted a break from life. I didn't know how else to get it. I thought maybe if I'm open to someone, she'll be like, you need a break. I didn't think I was going to get a depression diagnosis at the same time. I thought she was just going to let me have a break for a while. Right. And I didn't believe her. Um, She sent me on my way for three weeks on my leave of absence. Uh, I picked yoga to focus on. I had to agree to therapy. 
Um, we we didn't dabble in medication yet because we just wanted to see, like, did I just need a break or was there something else going on here? Mm -hmm. um, I went back in at three weeks. I really had little to no change. And some people know what I'm talking about because there's these very set specific questions, which believe it or not, they, they're trying to diagnose you with only like five questions. But there's a scale of like one to 10 on how you're feeling about all these things. Mm -hmm. um, and it's very telling about what's going on in your head, whether you realize it or not. And my scores had not changed. Um, so she suggested medication. I was not, it wasn't that I wasn't willing, but I didn't like the idea, but I said, you know what? I'll have to try it. You're the expert. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm lucky that I saw an instant change within a week or two. Um, I was to the point where like showering was a chore for me. Um, and my sister said to me one day, that's when my therapist tells me I need to come in. Like you should be able to do like daily tasks. Right. Um, I didn't care about my finances. I spent money like it didn't matter, which was also very not me. Um, the the energy and the vibe I would get from being around other people, I would thrive on. And then in my 10-minute drive to go home to my husband and my two kids, I would crash. And I would walk in that door, and I would even acknowledge it because my husband would ask me how my day was. And I would be explaining something completely different than how I had felt for those eight hours. Um, and I was also, when the pandemic hit, my husband and I, like I think very many other couples within their household started drinking every night because why not? It took the edge off. At that point, our kids were three and five. It was a nut house. I would get up at 6 a.m. and work in the basement until noon. And then my husband would come downstairs and I would go up and be with the kids for six hours while he worked in the basement. So when work was over, it was time to drink. It wasn't to get wasted. It wasn't to get blacked out. It was just to take the edge off and feel relaxed, right? It was the one thing we could control. Mm -hmm. um, and that was what really got me to, to start that conversation with my doctor because I had had that realization in April. It had been two years that I had been drinking every single day um, for, for a reason I couldn't understand. I was smart enough to know it was not smart. Um, but I still chose to do it. And I found that I thought that I needed it. And I knew that I could not continue to live that lifestyle. Mm -hmm. um, so taking all of that time off and then introducing medication and therapy and focusing on yoga and being forced to focus on myself, it doesn't sound hard. But holy shit, it's insane. Like you want you just you know, it's like, oh, but I need to get all these other things done in life. Right. I need I need to pay the bills. I, I need to get the kids ready for school. I need to figure out meals for the week. And before you know it, it's 11 o'clock at night and you haven't done anything for yourself. And I think that is um, that has been the biggest struggle for me as I work through this. I've I've found myself recently falling back again with with not. um having enough attention on myself mm -hmm. and I, I can see the the effects of that on the other end. Okay, Jess. So, you know, you were talking about here recently finding yourself not spending the time in yourself. Mm -hmm. Was your, was your approach to it is like, okay, between the hour of 8am and 930, I'm going to be focused on my self care. I'm whether it's yoga uh, journaling or whatever, or was it kind of random? Because I know everybody has a different style of doing that. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I think in the beginning when I took those full six weeks to focus on myself, it yeah. it was it was scheduled, okay. right? It was like, okay, this is yoga for the week. Which classes do I want to take each day? Right. Um, and then just one task. What do I want to do? Maybe not necessarily for myself, but something that's going to help me feel more aligned and like I have control of my life again. Mm-hmm. So Mondays, is it making a grocery list? Or is it looking at the calendar for the week to understand what's ahead for not only me, but, you know, the the kids and, and their sports or activities right. or my husband's work schedule? You know, what what is that? Um, and then trying to transition back into everyday life and the speed of it, mm-hmm. it's like anything else, right? All of a sudden I wasn't putting that that time on the schedule to go. Or mm-hmm. I, and this is something I'm still trying to work through, I know that on Mondays I should go to yoga from 9.30 to 10.30. Mm-hmm. Did I go this morning? No. Did I tell myself all last week when I also skipped it? You need to go. Mm-hmm. Of course I did. But I woke up this morning and felt like, no, like I, I'm I'm going to go down and talk to Eric and Jeff later today. I'm not going to be able to focus in yoga. I'd rather like organize the cubbies in the kitchen. Right. Like mm-hmm. just because to me that that feels satisfying and and I'm I can see that I am I'm working towards a goal. Um, But. I didn't have my me time to recenter myself. And now I'm going to notice that throughout the week. Okay. Can, um, here's an interesting thing. Um, hopefully, um, Jeff, you'll hold me here accountable, not going down a rabbit hole. <laughs> but I recently, um, just actually over the weekend, listened to a podcast uh, with uh, Jordan Peterson and Andrew Huberman. Um, we'll get this in the show notes, but they were talking um, about, um, research around in neuroscience around especially dopamine release and yes. and things around this and that and i i think most everyone in the audience will know that dopamine is kind of the the, the reward chemical if you will in our brains you know yes and, and if i can just interject yes, oh, on that please. too mm-hmm. as i am learning my um journey with mental health my alcohol was my dopamine right I had trained my body to to wait for that drink to get that happiness back in me. That is so profound um, <laughs> because you, you really got to listen to this episode. It, it, it's, okay. it's not just on dopamine, but what you described, you're going to hear back to you. Mm-hmm. Um, but what in my journey around mental health, it's kind of understanding, which I didn't know, is that you can set yourself up for that dopamine release, right? And they were talking about micro goals, you know? Um, and I've heard Andrew Huberman talk about how the danger in like startup entrepreneurs is that they work themselves to death and they're, they're, they're shooting for that star, that one star, because when we get that investment money, we're going to be X, right? So they're getting a release at that moment but they don't realize that that constant, I can't stop, I can't stop, I got to keep going, I got to keep going, the dopamine release doesn't keep happening Mm-mm. because they're not, there's nothing, there's only one goal, and that's like a thousand miles away. 
And he was talking about what you can do is you can kind of set yourself up with these micro goals as you're going along. And we've heard it all before. It's not the destination, it's the journey. Because in this episode, they talked about how when you get the reward that you are getting the dopamine motivation and all that stuff, when you get it, the dopamine, boosh, mm-hmm. dives. And I go, oh, my gosh. Not so much like, oh, that's disappointing because I'm thinking to myself, well, that means what I can do is to continually move myself forward with these micro goals. So anyway, that was a little bit of a rabbit hole, but that is kind of the <laughs> exercise of our brain health in, mm-hmm. in some terms. So you were mentioning um, about um, that in, in the, the scheduling thing and, and that, that yes. at, at the, in that six-week window. Um, do, you, do you feel that's a fit for you now or is it something where you're considering maybe altering that a bit or have you decided yet? Um. I think I've noticed in the past month or two, I do need to go back to a schedule, but then how do I hold myself accountable? And I think this goes back to your tribe, your people. So when when you do find the this group, this tribe that not only holds you accountable, but holds your hand on those those rough days where my internal voice is maybe not as positive. Mm-hmm. Yep. And and not as as pushy mm-hmm. in in the right way um they're they're both there to maybe give me a little of that push that i need or also say hey what are you doing give yourself grace it's not today and just be okay with that and i think that's a huge thing here too with everything we're talking about is your internal voice because you decide everything that you do and there's a reason why and if there is a negative voice in your head constantly you're never going to find yourself and you're going to blame everyone else and you're you're never going to grow and and figure out who you are right mm-hmm. um that's a huge journey for me right now too mm-hmm. i i always thought i was a positive voice but i was positive in a perfectionist way where if I wasn't doing things exactly how I thought I should, I was really hard on myself. When if I got, now I know, if I only get one out of 10 things done on my list today, I should be proud that I got that one thing done because everything else just wasn't going to happen and that's fine. Yeah. So I grace and, and your internal voice is, I feel like half the battle sometimes. Yeah. So, when we look at, um, I want to kind of pivot back, if we could, to the grief thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I'm glad that you mentioned it in such a way that gives people the context around your journey may not necessarily be other people's journey. Six years for your dad's passing, eleven years, twenty six years for, for Jeff, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so. <clears throat> What would you most want people to know about this process of navigating grief? There is no roadmap. Everyone goes through stages in different orders. 
you may relive one of those more than once. Um, most things people assume are myths. <laughs> uh, I'm reading a, a book right now called What's Your Grief uh, by Eleanor Haley and Litza Williams. It just came out. I actually, when I saw them promote it on Instagram, I pre-ordered it. Um, I will be transparent. I am not a reader. <laughs> I have to find a moment where I'm actually willing to fully digest um, what's in front of me. But it it sets up the basics of myths of stages of grief. And it also gives you a, a lot of lists to to look through to see what you can relate to and what you can't. And then it also, what I love about it, it is giving me a new understanding of how other people grieve, um, how they might respond to certain things. Just as interesting, um, I wasn't close with my dad. Um, probably, I mean, I was close to him probably three years before he passed. The history before that, um, I was a I was a prosecutor for all of the bad stuff that happened when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I was merciless, mm -hmm. and sometimes I was just indifferent, like tolerating his presence type thing, because mm -hmm. I was so pissed, right? Yes, so, which is part of grief. Right, which kind of connects back <laughs> oh. that grief is not only associated with the death of someone, yeah. physical death. Yeah. So I remember, I can still remember this particular day where I was, where I was driving, and I was kind of going back and forth in my head about, well, what would it be like if when he passes? Yes. And I remember having this conversation oh. with myself going, well, probably it's not going to be that big of a deal because I'm not that close to him. I mean, I'll be sad, but it'll be – and I, I'm, I'm sitting there kind of – you know, weighing it out. Oh, well, you know, like, well, if you want to, it'd be like me giving you directions today. Well, first, what you want to do is look for this and then you'll yeah. make a right, but watch out for it because there's a speed trap there. Mm -hmm. It's like, I, I thought I had it all planned out. Mm -hmm. Probably about a year and a half, two years later, he passes. And I will tell you the entire experience was zero <laughs> of what I thought it was going to be. It is. It, it was zero. And at the time, it crushed me in ways I never imagined. Mm -hmm. I found the love I had for him when I was like five years old. Mm -hmm. And I rediscovered it. And I was probably, it took, it was my process of where it was like a true, maybe mourning his passing yeah. was probably a year to 18 months. But one thing that I found and I've used this description, might have even been on this show, Jeff. It's like when my dad passed, because it surprised me and how it impacted me. I mean, his 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 passing was, I knew it was coming. Mm -hmm. It was like, this is going to happen. Mm -hmm. There's no ifs, ands, buts, no way around it. But it was how I processed it, mm -hmm. was what got me. And it was like, I remember, I was, it was like looking out in my backyard and seeing this crater where a bomb had been dropped. And I remember thinking, nothing's going to come out of this. Nothing good could come. Look at that crater. Yeah. It's just destruction. Mm -hmm. As time went on, Jess, I noticed something. Out of that 
land, out of that ground, there was these sh- like little shoots of green. And, you know, at first I looked at it and going, well, that, that makes sense. And I keep going. But eventually there were more of them. And I started correlating what had been destroyed birthed something that became this beautiful garden. Mm-hmm. That has been my process. Mm-hmm. That, that was how I went through it. Mm-hmm. So your, your description of it and the dynamic of it's different for everybody. And there's these, there's these myths because, and I did, I mean, I'm sure like many in our audience, you're going to be fine. Uh-huh. You know, he's in a better place, uh-huh. you know, <laughs> to which many time I would give them the. The first year's the hardest. That's yeah, not true. You know, yeah, it's, right. Yeah, uh-huh. You know, it's like, you know, you're going to get to a place where, you know, it'll just be. It's still um, his passing is still working on me. Oh, yeah. I mean, and I'm saying that in the sense of of growth, because. I, I when I encounter people who uh, and w- w- there's there's a couple that both Jeff and I know, the sweetest lady, and one of her kids is like said, I don't want to talk to you anymore. I don't want to be in your life anymore. I, I immediately went to my mind, I'm going like, do you realize how much you're going to regret this? Mm-hmm. And I get it, and and I just I could lay out to you some of the things my dad did, and it make you. Jaw just drop, mm-hmm. but not enough to where to be done with somebody, right? To be absolutely right. done. I mean, it wasn't worthy of that. And again, I mean, everybody's different. Maybe if they were here, they would say, "Well, let me tell you what she did, they did." I get that. Yeah, but I'm I'm always of the mind about this idea about forgiveness, mm-hmm. and I've heard it said that forgiveness is not just it's 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 for us too. Absolutely. Because the danger in it is that if you don't it it stays and it continues to eat away at you even though you think it's them. It's it's like what's the I've heard this saying, you know, it's like it's like drinking poison and expecting the other person yes. to die. Mm. You know? Yeah. I can remember uh when when my dad died that I was not grieving to everybody's satisfaction. Huh. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. And it it led me, to, people thought I was depressed. They thought this, they thought that. So I went and saw someone, and she introduced me to another way of, of looking at who I am. And I don't know if you're familiar with the Enneagram. Mm-hmm. Um, found out that I'm a nine, and then we went deeper and found out that Nine grieves differently than just about every other type of person. Okay. And that was really the start of my wanting to explore that stuff. So use these things. Um, Eric and I have, uh, when we talk in front of people, if we're doing a debrief with someone, we talk about being curious. Mm -hmm. And that's where you have the growth is, is understanding. And the more you're curious, and that includes being curious about things that you don't like. Correct. <laughs> yeah, is. and I think that uh, one of the things, just as we've done this show for almost, it'll be five years in November, Jeff. Geez, <laughs> we better have a celebration. Yes. Um, I In the Enneagram world, I'm a four, and, and that has been termed 
I'm very unique and I, mm -hmm. I strive for uniqueness and I like creativity and I'm in, kind of an individualist. So when we do a show and, and, and Jeff's a great co-host because he knows that I like to just, let's get talented people in a room and let's just see what comes. Mm -hmm. Because what will come will be something special if we let it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I know for some people that would drive them absolutely nuts. Oh, it because, does. Right? Because they will they think that I am I just show up two minutes before we start and say, Jess, you ready to go? All right, let's go. Hit the tape. All right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, so, I mean, but that's not what it is. Mm -hmm. We prepare. Mm -hmm. It's just we don't let that preparation get in the way of these moments. Mm -hmm. um, so your point, Jeff, in pulling out that, I think – I would recommend to someone who's grieving or in embarking on that journey for whatever it is, not just the death of a loved one, mm -hmm. is to getting more of that self-knowledge. Know how your type grieves. Know how you process mm -hmm. it. Know what speaks to you. You know, mm -hmm. um, I firmly, firmly believe the better we are at that, I think it lifts our confidence. And if you yes. do have a tribe, you do have a, a, a community around you, that goes, yep, I get Eric. Yes. He's a four. Understand it. Yes. It allows you to navigate so much better because, Jeff, in your example, I mean, I can't imagine. It's like you're not grieving the proper way. You're not, mm -hmm. what? But and, the, I, and I heard it that way from people. Yeah. yeah. Go, ahead, go ahead, Jeff. Um, and, and this is why I'm just, I'm striving so hard in my own lifetime to figure out ways to normalize grief. And I think the best way is through these conversations or th or through sitting in a group and, and feeling vulnerable and telling your feelings because now you're leaving the opportunity there for, for someone to be like, oh, that's that's me. Or I have no idea what they're talking about, but I had no idea people grieve that way, right? Like you. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not easy. It's, it's like I said before, you, you have to be willing to know that you can be wrong um, or that a bigger emotion might come out of it. But the weight that it lifts off of you and and the way you're impacting other people and not even realizing it is huge. Um, and I just don't, you know, I, I think about my kids a lot. I want to know that as they experience their life journey that they're not going to choose to only express their their roughest and most emotional feelings at home and they know that they they can share it within a group and hopefully not be judged for it yeah that's powerful or i found where i i'm always the person sharing and someone who never share shares all of a sudden feels vulnerable enough in a moment to maybe not do it in a group but to pull me aside and tell me something that they haven't let out to anyone. And I, I consider something like that. It's sacred time, not necessarily the religious kind of sacred time, but it's, it's right. I can't think of another word to describe it. All right. So I wanted to find out a little bit more about <laughs> what you're working on now um, as it relates to your authentic self. Um, maybe talk a little bit about what your, your organization does, what's mm -hmm. kind of behind that for the audience. Absolutely. Um, so part of this, this is where like grief and mental health kind of came to a head together for me was this year. Mm -hmm. um, so learning that I do need to take mental health more seriously. We 
we all need to <laughs> yeah. take it more seriously. Yeah. Um, you know, if you break your leg, you take hours of the day to, you know, nurse it back to health, to do therapy, and it goes on for weeks and months and 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 you you treat that leg differently probably for the rest of your life, right? You mm-hmm. you know its limits. Um yeah. so why aren't we doing that with our with our brain? Every day too, right? And I have to check myself in on that constantly because we were not brought up in a society where we we should be aware of that at all times. Um, and I I still don't know how to do that, but we need to be better at it. Yeah, we're learning. We need to be better. Um, so through that, I during the pandemic, my um, my company was was birthed out of this idea that my love language is gift giving and originally i just wanted to help people shop for any occasion but also support small businesses with their products so i i research products that i want i bring them in from other small businesses and then i help people shop shop so that it's it's thoughtful it's not just you ran through target and and grabbed something what is the name of your company again exo laughlin co is the company name, um, obviously, because my last name is Laughlin. Um, so I have put that, I have not put that at the top of my list to be focusing on because um, life is still crazy, right? I'm still a mom. Oh, I um, applaud you for that. Absolutely. I, and and it's hard because I want it to be everything. Um, after a year of, of helping people shop for all these cool things, I realized there was this area that no one likes to touch, but the people that asked for it were so thankful for my support. And that was for crappy life events is what I like to call it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got away from like the birthdays, the anniversaries, you know, and and I just solely help people gift their love to someone they care about when life sucks Mm -hmm. um and with that comes learning more about grief and acknowledging it and being more open and what i hope to do is normalize it um through my little side hustle um but also giving myself grace as i i learn to work with my depression and what i need on a daily basis to be my best self yeah. Um, so it is hard because, you know, I want to put the kids first. I still have a part-time job, but I, I've shifted to something. And again, this isn't easy for everyone. I'm, I'm very lucky for the, the support I have from my husband and my family and my friends. But I took a huge step back. I'm probably making a quarter of what I used to make. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, getting over that that internal struggle of, well, you need to help support your family more. Well, I need to help support them through my mental health, not through the money I make at my job, right? Because um, if I'm, again, if I'm not my best self, then the world crumbles within our household. <laughs> um, so I'm I'm really learning with I'm just in this flower shop a couple days a week and I love it. I don't dread it. Uh, there's no deadlines or or timelines that I'm fully responsible for, which I've learned really make me overly anxious and stressed out and get me in that spiraling mode again in the wrong direction. Um and then still finding this time for EXO. Um but I know it has a place the more I talk about it 
and explain what I'm trying to do or find the people that need it most, I actually feel like I'm years behind where I should be. Um, I I hope it can be an actual space one day that because right now it's just out of my basement, right? And yeah, it's, it's virtual on my in many ways, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. I'll I'll go to local markets and set up. Um, but I make it a whole experience, and and I I think that's what people need for what I'm trying to accomplish. So. I give them the space um, to talk about what's bothering them if they want while they're shopping with me. And maybe they don't even buy anything. But just to have that few minutes to talk to someone and not feel like you're judged can can be everything on that day. Um, So so that's how I'm I'm using all of these scary life things (laughs) to well, you know, in many ways, Jess, it, it it sounds to me like you are. You're obviously in process with this, but mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I hear a life well lived. And at the end of the day, as someone who thought that a life well lived could be fit into a corner office and mm-hmm. a, all of the trappings, yeah, I'm so thankful that it's like, you're the rich one. Yes. Uh, and and, I, and this is what really pisses me off recently, like, because I'm at that age too, right? Like of this midlife crisis thing. Yeah. I never really knew what that meant until probably this year where I have more friends speaking out to me in confidence mm-hmm. about how they have worked so hard to get where they thought they wanted to be. And they're there and they are not satisfied. Mm-hmm. And what they want is not even close to what they've been working for for two decades and how the hell do you shift and not lose everything in the process? And it's about those baby steps again, right? Like It really is. I think that's going to be a topic when we bring her back. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I totally yeah, agree but, with that. But, you know, and yeah. I didn't go there today uh, because I would love to explore that idea of the grief that occurs when you you take that final curtain call, right? I mean, just the dynamic of it, and um, yeah, your 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 description of those people that have worked so hard and so long, mm-hmm. and then find that it's like sand in their hands type thing. It it is a, and again, I know this. I know what that yeah. feeling is like. Um, okay, when you come back, uh-huh. we're we're gonna delve deeper into that. Okay. So, <laughs> Jess, thank you so much for being with us today. Really, really enjoyed it. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Audience, we're so glad that you tuned in again as well, and we look forward to the next time that we're together. Take care. Hi, everyone. This is Eric Pennington with The Spirit of EQ. I'm not introducing a new episode today. I'm here to tell you some things that might help you. Jeff, you're with me as always. So how do people get in touch with us? Well, the best way is just send us an email at info at spiritofeq.com. That's awesome. Jeff, I was also thinking about reviews, and I'm notoriously bad at asking for them, so... Reviews on all of the platforms, wherever you get your podcasts. Yes. Do you think that'd be good? I think that would be great because, one, that will help us learn how to make better ones. 
and it's always good for us. So we're, we're not the perfect podcast host. We're close. Okay, but, all right, but, but not, still, not totally. We want perfect. your feedback. We want your feedback. But it it also might uh, let us know a new subject. Hey, we need to dig deeper into that. Yeah. So let us know what you think. Cool. We really appreciate that. As always, too, there is social media, LinkedIn, Facebook, and we also have a YouTube channel. Those also have mechanisms or, or options for you to be able to leave a comment, a like, or those kind of things. Just want to make sure that you know how to get in touch with us. Right, Jeff? Right. We appreciate you all. Thank you. Once again, we really appreciate you tuning in today. One of the things that Jeff and I want to bring to your attention as well is that when we created this podcast, it was not intended to take the place of a clinician. In other words, if you find yourself in a place where there's something deeper going on or something that you cannot solve on your own, we do recommend that you reach out to a clinician of some sort. This podcast is purely opinion-based and it is rooted in the desire to help you along your path in whatever way we can. However, it is never going to replace, nor should it ever be looked at as a replacement for clinical help in any way. Thanks again for tuning in.